Hi, this is Annie. And this is Bridget. And this is Stuff Mom Never Told You. Um, And we wanted to start out today with a trigger warning because we're going to be talking about gaslighting, which is a form of mental and emotional abuse. So if that is a trigger for you, probably best that you skip this episode. Yeah. All right. So let's start with a definition, shall we? Yeah. I wonder if most people are familiar with it. Probably not. I don't know. But when someone explained it to me, it was like so many things fell into place because I think a lot of people have experienced this and they don't realize that they have. Yeah. Sometimes giving folks a name for what they are experiencing or have experienced can be very liberating, can be sort of Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, and you can start to pinpoint the behaviors. Okay, so from Encyclopedia Britannica, gaslighting, an elaborate and insidious technique of deception and psychological manipulation, usually practiced by a single deceiver or gaslighter on a single victim over an extended period. Its effect is to gradually undermine the victim's confidence in his own ability to distinguish the truth from falsehood, right from wrong, or reality from appearance, thereby rendering him pathologically dependent on the gaslighter and his thinkings or feelings. Ugh. Yeah. So the definition, it, you're right, it really does, and you read that definition, it, it's almost impossible to not look back on your prior relationships or family relationships or friendships or whatever and think, oh, that person who treated me weird, like made me feel really weird, and I always questioned, am I okay? Am I crazy? Am I oversensitive? Am I blowing up at nothing? You know, that person who filled you with self-doubt, it's easy to look back and say, oh, that's what was happening. Yeah, exactly. And you touched on a lot of the common phrases you might hear. Um, And for me, when I learned what this is, there's someone in my family who's really good at this, and I like once I learned what it is now, when when it comes up, I'm I'm able to like say nope, nope. I'm being perfectly reasonable in how I'm behaving. You can't just dismiss me. So the the goal of gaslighting is to make you doubt your own ability to perceive reality. And some common phrases that you might hear: um, Are you sure you're remembering that correctly? You know you have a bad memory. Um, you're making things up again. You're too sensitive, like you said, Bridget. Um, you'll never find someone as good as me. It's all in your head. It slowly chips away at the target self-esteem, and it's so, 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 so effective. So effective that it's a frequent tool of dictators and cult leaders. Oh, that actually sounds familiar to me. Does it? <laughs> there actually might be someone who is a who you might think of as a bit of a dictator who is uh, doing that now. I won't say any names, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, we'll, we might say some names later. <laughs> Another part of this is the illusory truth effect, and that's when someone believes something mostly because they've heard it so much before. This is really problematic in a lot of things, but it comes up in politics. If you just hear something over and over, you start to believe it, even if you've only heard it like from one person saying it over and over again. So gaslighting touches on that because if someone repeatedly tells you, oh, you're, you're overreacting, you're being sensitive, over time, you're going to start to think in your own head, like, I guess I'm overreacting, I'm being sensitive. And this is different than the occasional like differences in memory or denials or blackout drunk behavior, um, everyday gaslighting, as it's called. This could be human error or defensiveness, but that doesn't mean it isn't harmful. But today, we're going to mostly focus on deliberate use of gaslighting. 
Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned blackout drunk. Um, you, we have a lot of great examples from pop culture, but there's one that sticks in my mind, which is this book, Girl on a Train. Have you ever read it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've i been pretty open about my love of drink on this yeah. show. <laughs> but like when, you, when you're someone who drinks or that you have like, use substances that like mess with your memory, yeah. that can be its own kind of weird, um, I don't want to say gaslighting, but it is a bit where you, you kind of are dependent on others around you to fill in, like, oh, what did I do last night or what happened last night or whatever. Yeah. Um, and how sort of that can leave you kind of vulnerable for that kind of behavior. Sometimes gaslighting, a gaslighter will use that to their advantage or to, like, further, because they want to control the other person. So if you're dependent on a substance, then they might, like, both encourage you to get more addicted and then, like, blame you for it and also, like, yeah, control the narrative of what what did you do. And Girl on a Train is a great example of that, where that's pretty much the whole plot. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's been out for a, couple, for a while. Oh, boy. You've had, you've had, like, five years. <laughs> yeah. Um, the name Gaslighting comes from a 1939 British stage play called Gaslight, which was later produced into two films, the UK's 1940 Gaslight and then 1944 in the US, under the same name starring Ingrid Bergman. And the plot of the movie is about an abusive husband doing his best to convince his wife she's losing her mind. Um, he does so by convincing her she's a kleptomaniac, and the sound she's hearing and the dimming of the gaslights she is seeing are all in her head. So she won't know what the real truth is that uh, her husband, who was married to Ingrid Bergman's character's aunt, is trying to find the family's lost jewels that's hidden in the house. Um, Oh, yeah, and he murdered the aunt, by the way, for the jewels. Yeah, no biggie, no biggie. (laughs) But it just goes to show how it's all about controlling her ability to perceive things realistically and that he uses that as a way to conceal his own bad behavior. Yeah, exactly. It's you're flipping it around to usually um, when it's in relationships, it's, it's to hide like um, cheating or if you've got like a gambling addiction and you want to turn, you want to flip the script around and put it on the other person. So yeah, this movie it pretty much encapsulates it, and it did become the term. She finally realizes at the end she clings to the fact like. These gaslights are dimming. These gaslights are dimming. And the only way she, like, realizes that, yes, they are dimming, she is not losing her mind, is when the police show up at the end. And they say, well, the gaslights are dim. Oh, I was right the whole time. <laughs> yeah. I'm not crazy. Yeah, which is why um, an important thing is to have, like, a support group or people outside of that relationship that can verify the truth for you. Yeah, I had a friend who had a major gaslighter in her life, and one of the ways that this person used gaslighting was by trying to make her think her her own friends, like her the outside sources that you were yeah. saying, mm-hmm. trying to break down the trust there. Yeah, and so this person would say things to her like, you know, well, your friend, agree- I talked to your friend, and they agree with me, and it's like, no, they didn't. That's a made up thing. But by if you say that enough, you start to not trust the people that you look at as your as your support system and your trust system, your outside people. And so I really was able to see that as a tactic of isolating her, yeah. making her feel like they were the only person that would tell her the truth and be real with her and they, they were all that she had. And that the people that she grew up with that she considered like her sisters, like her support, we are actually, you know, talking shit. 
at her and, yeah. you know, thought she was being crazy. Yeah. And that is a hallmark of a gaslighter. They will try to bring in your support group and either, like, break down the trust with them or even say, like, well, Annie agrees with me, even though I don't. Like, they're just going to group use me to further their their control in the relationship, their power in the relationship. And since um, Gaslight, the movie, came out, there's now so many examples of this in media. And one of the biggest known recent ones that maybe people who watched it didn't pinpoint is Jessica Jones. The main villain in that Kilgrave is gaslighting her all the time. He's telling her without, like, because he does have special powers, but without using those, he's telling her, like, this is what happened. You were remembering things wrong. I know what happened. You don't know what happened. And she even uses a technique that um, some survivors are, are, is helpful for some survivors to combat gaslighting where she recites the names of her old streets to, like, reinforce her truth to, like, remind herself, no, this is, this is, I know this is reality. It's It's like the gaslights in Gaslight. Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting. So, like, Finding something that you can cling to. If you've seen, um, that's such a thing in movies like, um, what's that movie that's kind of terrible, but everyone <laughs> loved it? Ooh. Um, oh, what could it be? Where they go into people's dreams? Inception. Inception. Yeah. <laughs> Jinx. Oh, Mia Coke. <laughs> um, is that the movie where they have yeah, the, 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 the thing yes. that, you know, this is how I know? That's reality um, or not, yeah. It's interesting how finding that tangible thing that you can cling to that you know this this demonstrates my ability to perceive reality correctly. That seems to be a recurring thing with gaslighting and how, and how you can combat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another big example in movies that I ran into a lot was The Truman Show. Oh, yeah. Um, the Changeling, which is based on a true story. Have you seen that one, Bridget? It sounds familiar. Have I seen it? What's it about? Um, it's about... Angelina Jolie, I think it's a, it's a kind of a period piece, maybe like 1920s, 1940s, I'm probably way off, but in this century period piece. Um, and she loses her child and like weeks pass and the police are like, hey, we found your kid. And she's like, that is not my kid. They're like, nope, it really is. It's your kid. Can't believe you can't remember him. You must be a terrible mom. And she's just like, everyone's telling me this is my kid. I know this is not my kid. He doesn't fit in like the same clothes. But the police go through epic lengths to convince her that that is her kid or that she has lost her mind. She ends up in an insane asylum at Why do they do this? I think because they were embarrassed. <laughs> I know in the true story that uh, the kid died. Uh, it was like 20, they found 20 kids in a grave or something. Oh. I, uh, I think they, they were trying to cover up some kind of embarrassing failure on their part. By gaslighting Angelina Jolie and getting her locked <laughs> in an insane asylum? As you do, right? Yeah, as one does. <laughs> Um, that's a lot like uh, Flight Plan, which is a terrible movie, but I saw it in the theater. <laughs> okay. Have you ever seen Flight Plan? No. Basically, Flight Plan, it's not a very good movie, but I did see it in the theater. Um, Jodie Foster, she arrives to an airport with her child, but the child is scared to go through TSA, so she hides him on, She hides the child, I think it's a girl, under her coat. Security videos don't show her going in with a kid. The kid is later kidnapped, I think by a terrorist or something. And they basically try to convince her, they're like, you didn't have a kid. She's like, what? And so, of course, because she's a woman, she yeah. thinks, I'm crazy, you know. I'm. Yeah. It's funny how the, the victims of gaslighting, it not, it's not only women, but it's interesting how, particularly in pop culture, when it is women, women are so quick to, be, to think, I'm quote-unquote crazy. Like, I, something's wrong with me. Yeah. And, I, like, you're right. My perception of reality is warped. Yeah. I, I wonder if that's a gendered thing. Yeah, I, I would say so. And we are going to touch on that a little bit more later. But I do think women are more likely to be 
dismissed as crazy or hormonal. Is it that time of the month for you? Like, yeah, blaming it on on those types of things. And I think that women largely have internalized that and maybe are more quick to blame those types of things as well. Especially like that, um, I think about nagging all the time, that like your nagging wife. And I think a lot, a lot of women are afraid to have that label and uh, afraid of that label in general. And so even if this is, I mentioned before, my 30-page on the dishes, my 30-page on the dishes. Even if you're totally right to like ask for help and it comes off as nagging, I think that, yeah, that's just a term that uh, has been very useful for uh, getting out of doing the dishes, among other things. You have, you have this thing with the dishes. I, I want to hear. We had to do a whole episode <laughs> on Annie's opinion on dishes. <laughs> that would be like a 10-part miniseries. <laughs> and me just mostly dissolving into, and another thing. <laughs> um, the one more thing I want to touch on uh, in the movie verse of gaslighting is um, a lot of horror movies like The Shining or Clockwork Orange purposefully gaslight the audience mm. by um, making continuity errors so that you're never quite sure, like, did I see that? I don't know. Maybe I didn't see that. The Shining is the ultimate example of that because when you watch that movie, I, at least for me, I find myself pausing and going back and thinking, I just saw a flash of something very disturbing, didn't I? And then you have to go back and make sure that you did, in fact, see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty effective. Thank you for gaslighting me, Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. (laughs) Clinically, gaslighting is classified as a type of narcissistic abuse, particularly malignant narcissist. In this case, the narcissist uses the target for validation and esteem while simultaneously detesting the target's victimhood. Gaslighting is gradual, starting out small, but eventually leading to depression, anxiety, and isolation in the target, making him or her even more dependent. And here are some of the hallmarks. Telling outright lies by doing so, uh, by setting the bar so high with something that's like obviously a false statement, the gaslighter undermines your ability to know if anything else they say is true or not. A lot of the lies they invoke include someone you care about, like we mentioned. Um, This person agrees with me. She thinks you're overacting too. Sometimes in the survivor community, this is called a flying monkey. Mm, Because you're kind of sicking your flying monkeys on on them and sort of you know, building a network of people who you will rely on to undermine the victim's sense of reality and self. Yeah, exactly. At the same time, they call people and the media that call into question the reality they're feeding you liars if it is in opposition to what they're telling you. Hmm, that also sounds kind of familiar. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> hmm. Uh, denial of something they said or did, even if you produce proof, even in the face of outright proof. And once again, this sets you off balance. Um, It makes you question your reality. Trivialization of your feelings. Gaslighters often attack things that you care about. Their actions don't match their words. Occasionally, they offer you kind words, um, words of encouragement. And um, it kind of reminds me of the cycle of abuse as Mm. well, where it's like, oh, I'll never do it again. Uh, I love you and all these things. Like, I failed this one time, but then it's it's a cycle. And they do this to confuse you because then you're like, well, they said this nice thing about me. Maybe they're not all bad. Yeah, how could they be bad? He's being so nice to me now. How could he be an abusive person when he's making me feel so good in this moment? I must have had him all wrong. I must be sensitive. I must be misunderstanding the situation. Yeah, exactly. And it it, it further confuses you, and confusion is the best friend of a gaslighter. Gaslighters often project their own failings or issues. 
they turn it around on you, so you're the wrongdoer. They might act hurt that you've accused them of such a thing. They dismiss you as crazy, bitchy, hormonal. How dare you say that about me? I would never do that. I mean, you must be really yeah. out of your mind. You should. I, I worry about your mental health if that's, if that's really what you think. Yeah. That kind of thing. Exactly, yep. And it, to the extremes, when a gaslighter is questioned here, she may resort to threats of physical abuse, especially if, like, they sense that their whole game might be up. And the techniques commonly deployed by gaslighters are things like withholding, and this is when the gaslighter refuses to listen, to share emotions, feigns a lack of interest or understanding. Classic example of this is, I'm not listening to this again tonight. Countering or questioning the target's reality. You were wrong about that last time. You have an overactive imagination. You never believed in me. I feel like that one is probably really common in uh, relationships where there's infidelity. Yeah. Saying, you know, oh, you're you're so paranoid. You're so jealous. Yeah. You know, that was, I've, I've had people in my life use that one, you know, to obscure cheating. Again, if you say it over and over and over again, and you say, you're really jealous, you're really jealous, you're really jealous, over and over and over again, you know, you're getting upset about nothing. You're inventing things to be upset about because you're jealous and paranoid. Even if you're not a jealous person, like, I'm not a very jealous person, but someone saying it over and over and over again, by the end, I'm apologizing for this person who was like cheating on me because I'm apologizing like oh I'm I'm just being I'm you know how you know me I'm just so jealous right. and by the end I'm like wait step back I'm not actually jealous and actually you are deceiving me right. but it's interesting how repeating those countering claims over and over again can really you can really internalize them yeah I've definitely seen that play out in a friend's relationship where um, he would call her jealous all the time and he would even go so far as to be like, well, I saw you hanging out with this one dude, like, one time. Like, maybe you're the one. Yeah. Maybe I should be looking into what you're doing. It's it's pretty insidious. There's blocking diverting, which is flipping the conversation around to question the target. So, yeah, you're hurting me on purpose or stop nagging me. Trivializing, dismissing the thoughts or feelings of the gas, uh, the target of the gaslighting. And denial. I don't have to take this. You're making this up. Stuff like that. As we've kind of touched on, it can take place in all sorts of relationships, in the workplace, within a family, with a significant other. Uh, a lot of times it's a partner trying to hide a relationship. It can take place in a lot of different settings. And it seems like something that's kind of fairly common. According to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, around 80% of people that call in have experienced some type of mental health coercion. Some of the symptoms of gaslighting that they list on their site include constant second-guessing yourself, Feelings of confusion, asking yourself if you're being too sensitive multiple times a day, constantly apologizing to your gaslighter, constantly excusing a gaslighter's behavior or withholding information from friends so you won't have to make excuses, uh, a feeling like you can't quite articulate that something is wrong, telling lies to avoid getting put down or having the rug pulled from underneath you, uh, having a hard time making decisions, feeling that you used to be a more confident and relaxed person, feeling like you can't do anything right, and feeling like you're constantly letting your partner down. When I was on this website, I saw at the top it had instructions for a quick exiting of the website, not being able to return by using the back button. Oh, oh. so that if someone came up behind you, you just—that makes me—that's that's yeah. very real. Yeah, that broke my heart. So gaslighting has a really long history, and we're going to talk about it after a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Thank you, sponsor. 
Okay. So gaslighting probably, honestly, has been taking place as long as people have had relationships with each other and have tried to manipulate each other. But one example I found of it that I loved was uh, Hans Christian Andersen, The Emperor's New Clothes. And if you don't remember or only have vague memories of the Disney movie, this fairy tale revolves around an emperor who loved his clothes to the point he spent all of his money on them. And two swindlers came to town one day claiming that they made fabrics more wonderful than anything you've ever seen. And if you couldn't see those fabrics, it meant you shouldn't have your job because you were incompetent. And of course, the emperor wanted them because by putting them on, he'd not only figure out like who thought he was unfit for duty, but he'd also be looking super, super fly. So he paid the swindlers a huge amount of cash for some new clothes with the most magnificent fabric. And the swindler set up two big looms and got to weaving with invisible, read non-existent, <laughs> thread. Um, and though the fabric wanted to ask how they were doing it, he didn't because he didn't want to appear stupid as if he thought himself incompetent because he couldn't see the fabric. And the emperor calls the trusty, honest town minister to describe what he sees, but the minister is afraid of the same thing. He doesn't want to be called stupid mm. and unfit for his job. So he's like, oh, wow, how beautiful. Look at this fabric. And the emperor's like, oh, boy, oh, no. I can't see anything. So he calls in more officials, and the trusted officials say the same thing because they also don't want to appear stupid. So the emperor pretends he can see them, too, and the swindlers up the price. They say, we gotta, we're got we going to need more fabric. And the emperor's advisors are like, wow, this is the most beautiful thing. You've got to wear it in your procession that's coming up. And the emperor is like, okay. Um, the swindlers finished the clothes. They held them out, describing them as light as a spider's web, as if you're wearing nothing. I'm sure they were very light, oh, very yeah. delicate. Gossamer. <laughs> yes. The emperor undressed, and they helped him put them on. They went through like a little miming thing. Everyone complimented him on them. Ah, you fools. <laughs> and then he he did the procession completely naked. And everyone except the kids. The kids were like, he's he's naked. But all the adults were like, no, we're good at our jobs. We can see those clothes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just a, um, I thought, a, a funny kind of. That's the gaslighting on a, na- on a <laughs> yeah. not national, but yeah. local scale. Yeah. Kind of the same with all these people buying in. If we fast forward past the play and films that we mentioned in the beginning, um, in 1981, a psychologist named Edward Weinschel wrote an article called Some Clinical Consequences of Interjection, Gaslighting. And interjection was the term he used to explain the transfer of psychic conflicts. One person externalizes and projects, and the other person incorporates and assimilates. Books and self-help blogs about how to shut gaslighting down proliferated soon after with strategies like narrative repair that relies on a counterstory. And though most research and articles have been about gaslighting and relationships, recently it's gotten more sort of nationwide attention, society-wide attention, I guess. Take this quote from Shay Emma Fett over at Everyday Feminism. She writes, I believe that gaslighting is happening culturally and interpersonally on an unprecedented scale and that this is the result of a societal framework where we pretend everyone is equal while trying simultaneously to preserve inequality. And that is something I definitely, definitely feel. In my experience, this is folks who say things like, oh, we're all equal now. The races are all equal. And so while me as a woman of color am experiencing inequality, the nation is sort of refusing to agree that this is happening. And so it is interesting. And part of it is that you internalize it and you think, oh, I'm oversensitive. I'm making, you know, it's so easy to shut this down, right? Like someone saying, oh, you make everything about race, which people have wrote into this very podcast and said that about me. And, you know, it's really quite something to have 
people insist that we are living in an equal nation, equal for along spectrums of gender, race, sexuality, class, it's really quite rich to have those people say, oh, you make everything about race when we live in a country where everything is about race, right? It's quite interesting that people use that tactic. And it is it does feel a bit like gaslighting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's exactly what you said. You make everything about race. Is It's just a way of, it's similar to the boyfriend telling you, like, you're just jealous. Like, it's a way to just say, nope, we're all equal here. You're the ones that are still <laughs> fighting about trying to stir something up. Shay Imafet on Everyday Feminism, she wrote that, a lot about that, and she wrote that minorities that face stereotypes about mental capacity are particularly prone to gaslighting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the more widespread the term has become, the more diluted the meaning and the more often it's used to gaslight almost. It muddies the water around rational disagreement, and we're talking more on a societal and cultural level now, although this can happen in relationships. And we'll get into this after one last break for a word from our sponsor. back. Thank you, sponsor. And this brings us to a part I know Bridget has been itching to get uh, to. This is, I've, I've, Annie's had to give me the, not yet, not yet, look, because I'm raring to go on this one. I'll just, I'm just going to jump right into go it. Go for it. Donald Trump, a gaslighter in chief. <laughs> I would agree with you, Bridget. Um, I remember, because I started out just reading basically how the podcast started as I was researching that. That was the first thing I was talking about was like signs of a gaslighter. And I was like, huh, huh. Oh, because <laughs> it all sounded very familiar. If you're like me, you've probably seen headlines in the past year or so that pretty much say the same thing. Like, uh, Donald Trump is gaslighting America from Teen Vogue. The Trump campaign's war on reality made me question what I saw from the Washington Post. I'm a Republican. Why is my party gaslighting America from Politico? So we're not the only ones that made this connection. We're not the only ones. And some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, Donald Trump, he's not gaslighting the country. I've actually seen headlines that question that, that, that push back on this narrative that, he, that we're being gaslighted on a national scale by our current president. As we talked about in this episode, a hallmark of gaslighting is trying to make you believe things that are not true, even when presented with proof. Just today, Donald Trump was presented with a video of him saying something he did not say and still clings to it, right? Like Donald Trump will say things that are verifiably untrue. Things where it's like, oh, you're on video, or oh, here is proof, or oh, we have a photo of you doing this, and he'll say, no, I didn't do it. And, and it sort of becomes its own kind of reality in a kind of way. This is, a, this is a small example, but like him lying about the crowd side of inauguration, Kellyanne Conway said he's presenting alternative facts. Numbers are numbers. If you say a number and the different number is higher or lower, I mean, that's not, there's not an alternative to that. That's just how these things work. Another example is that the Trump administration contends that 65 people died in Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. And Harvard University came out with a study just this week that said, actually, that number is more like 4,000 or over 4,000. And his administration basically is refusing to, to acknowledge these plain facts. Yes. And when they're presented with the obvious proof, it becomes fake media, fake news, which we touched on in the beginning. That, that is one of the hallmarks. Of a gaslighter. Dismissing the thing that counters your narrative. Yeah, and making you feel unsettled and off-kilter because you are seeing this blatant proof and to be told, nope, that's wrong. And to make things about race again, as I always do, because you know that's my thing. <laughs> yeah. um, I 
think about the way that Trump talks about people of color in this country. He'll go on TV and say things that are blatantly racist. And then he'll say, oh, quote unquote, the blacks are doing better than they have. So not only is that like not, you, you break down the numbers, that's actually not a true thing in and of itself. But he will get on TV and say, people of color are doing great under my administration while simultaneously being really racist. He does the same thing with women. He'll get, he'll get on TV and say, women are making more money than they've ever made under my administration while at the same time bragging about grabbing women by their body parts, right? And so yeah. it is a way of saying, of sort of denying a kind of victimhood in a way where we all can see that you are doing things that are not okay, but you are refusing to let that reality linger and in a kind of way using it against us. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the things we've been talking about do match up with the behavior of Trump and his cabinet, the demissal of reality, the constant refrain of fake news, the contradictions, the undermining of the press, the outright lies. And this all adds up to the so-called post-truth era, where a lot of us feel, yeah, very unbalanced and very, like, daily grind. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've talked about this a little bit on the show, but my post-election vibe was very much that way, that I felt in a kind of way that I couldn't, I was having trouble, this sounds like an exaggeration, but I'm not exaggerating. I felt like I was having trouble grasping reality and understanding what reality was because I, and I feel like I probably kind of like never recovered. I feel like I spend a lot of time seeing things and thinking like, what? You know, it's just, it's, it, and I think that's also a hallmark. They say that's a hallmark of, of, you know, bad rulers politically that they, overwhelm the, their citizenry with so many things where you're like, oh, how could that be? Oh, that's awful. How could that be? How could that be? Where by the end of it, you don't know, like up is down, black is white. You don't know what's what. Your best bet, according to some articles we found to kind of combat this constant deluge of what is reality, um, is to fact check everything, everything. Educate yourself on what outlets are reputable, um, and communications professor Melissa Zimdars uh, has compiled tips for recognizing fake or misleading news sites, as well as a 30-page spreadsheet of these sites. It's really helpful. I have a lot to say about this as somebody who has worked in journalism and media a lot. The way we talk about fake news, I mean, this could be its own episode, but so fake news, if you are really familiar with media, you know when someone says fake news, like you know what they mean. It's a very specific thing. But... Because we live in 2018 and Donald Trump is our president, fake news has sort of almost like lost its meaning. So when a reputable news source gets a report wrong yeah. and they retract it, which, you know, it's, it's a drag and it happens, that's not fake news. That happens. And, you know, when so a good example is when ABC released this report on Michael Flynn that they ended up having to retract. They retracted it. They apologized. They said, here's what we got wrong. The reporter who, who presented that report was suspended. All the things that were supposed to happen happened. You know, journalism, you should be able to trust your media and your, and your journalists. Just like any other profession, they will make errors, they will make mistakes, and there's a protocol for that. That is not fake news. And so the fact that that has been sort of conflated with stories that are flat out bogus, you know, stories saying that Hillary Clinton is running a pedophile ring from the basement of my neighborhood DC pizza shop, and we have proof, that is a headline. There is no, there is nothing about that that's accurate. So that is fake news. Yeah. But when CNN gets a, a report wrong, admits it, retracts it, takes the appropriate, the steps that have been appropriate forever to do that, 
That's not fake news. And I feel like that's another way that Donald Trump has been able to use this this kind of gaslighting to confuse people, that people think that a story saying that Hillary Clinton is actually a Draco reptilian, you know, she's got scales under her clothes, is is on par with ABC getting a story wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's really disheartening because I've, I guess this is ultimately a good thing, but now I've, if I'm on a site where I don't immediately recognize the name and don't immediately like kind of know that they're trustworthy, um, I have a moment of like, I better check out what this is because it could be totally fake. That's an interesting thing too because just people are so willing to believe things that fall in line with what they want to believe. Oh, yes. Oh, this is, yeah. Some people have heard, I mean, I'm going to try to keep it under, under control, but <laughs> I've gone on some rants about this. Particularly Facebook, I think, is, as you know, a culprit and is trying to rein it in, but I would argue is doing it badly. Do you know those things on Facebook, those, like, look back on your, you know, on this day? I was certainly a culprit for that not that long ago. I was sharing things that were bogus because they aligned with my worldview at the time. Right. And I don't think that we realized that bubbles that we were creating online when we did that because it felt it feels so good when you read something you're like yes finally share yeah <laughs> and then you share and all your friends shared and it really shows how susceptible we all are to information and content that's not actually real i actually don't think it's our fault there is this thing i want to say on cnn where this woman like a journalist came to her house and they said hey we have proof that this Facebook group that you've been a part of is actually run by Russian bots. And they were like, here's the proof. And she re- she refused to believe it. And a lot of people were like, that woman is so stupid, you know, blah, blah, blah. We don't really live in a country that has a media that is helps inform a citizenry. Like, we've kind of moved a little bit past that. And part of me thought, this woman, I mean, it's almost sort of not her fault in a kind of way that she's so easily duped and believes it so much when we just don't live in a country that make that gives people the resources and makes those resources readily available for people to have a more critical lens. I completely uh, am on the same page with you there. Um, media literacy. We wanted to do a whole like podcast, and that was all it was going to be was media literacy. Maybe we should revive the idea. Can I used it- to teach that in college. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, yeah, my, like, when I was teaching at Howard, our 101 uh, unit was on media literacy. Actually, it was a really fun course. Man, maybe we should have like a a little recurring check-in, media literacy check-in. So all of this has been triggering for survivors of gaslighting and relationships that uh, depended on gaslighting. All of this like kind of Trump cabinet and just discussion of whether or not it is gaslighting. And then for people that it feels very much like gaslighting who have lived through it, it's been a difficult period. And over at The Guardian, Ariel Lev um, offered these tips as someone who survived gaslighting as a child. Stay defiant. Recognize that there will never be accountability. The gaslighter will never take responsibility for their actions or come around to your point of view. I want to talk about that one briefly. Yeah. Um, I have a long-term relationship with a gaslighter in my life, and it's not the kind of relationship that I could sort of cut off. Yeah. And that one, I think, is super, super hard yeah. because it's so easy to sort of get caught in this idea of I'm going to prove them wrong and, you know, compile evidence. And, you know, the lengths I went to try to get this person to admit that they were 
gas, not not even admit they were gaslighting me, but to admit that they were not telling the truth, not saying something correct. Yeah. It almost was not worth my own sense of self. It almost was exhausting emotionally for me. And so having to recognize I will never, the accountability I want, I'll never get it. I could spend my whole life waiting and this person will never be, will never say, I lied about this because I wanted to control you. And I'm sorry, I'll never get that. And having to admit that and own that is really, really hard. And it's like a constant struggle. But I think that as people who are victims of this kind of of narcissistic abuse, it's so easy to kind of be a lawyer. And like, you know, I used to think like, oh, I'm going to record them with my phone in my pocket. And so when they say they didn't say X, I'll play it for them. And then I'll, I'll, I'll hold it under their nose. They'll have to admit it. And I used to have these wild fantasies of of finally getting my my you know of getting them to admit this, and then I had to say I'll never get it, and I have to stay defiant, and I have to just let it go, and that's that's another another way to deal with it. You got to let go of the wish that you have for things to be different, because they probably won't be different. Like my the person in my life who was a gaslighter, that is how this person is, and I I have kind of let go of any hope that our relationship will be different because this is how it is and I have to just stay defiant and and be confident about my own approach and my own understanding of situations and, yeah, set those boundaries like you were saying earlier. Say, I am behaving in an appropriate way. What I'm asking for is completely reasonable. The way that I'm perceiving the situation is reasonable and not get sucked in to this, to this toxic vibe where this other person sets the reality. And so you could be, be being totally normal and they're saying that you're being unreasonable or jealous or petty or this or that or ungrateful. Like any of the, fill in whatever your gaslighter is saying here. Uh, yeah, I'm a firm believer that people will justify their actions and make them correct. They will do what they have to do. Like the mental acrobatics they need to do to justify what they're doing and make it okay. So people are not going to take accountability for things if it means admitting to themselves that what, what, what they're doing is wrong and they'll have to stop. I, I think that is unfortunate, but very rare that people would actually turn around. And, and and yeah, you'll waste a lot of energy trying to change someone. And I have a friend who, to your point about like producing proof that she used to have this like unshakable faith. I think the thing that we all kind of want to have unshakable faith in that certain things are like, this is real. The numbers are, there's no alternative facts. This is it. And to have that, to present that and have it dismissed is kind of frightening and it kind of shakes your, well, if I can't, if that's not going to change things, if that's going to be just shoved aside as if it's not fact, it's a difficult concept and a frightening concept to grapple with. And she said it really shook her that she had this faith in that. And then it didn't matter. Yeah. So it, that, it's tough. Like none of these things are easy. Um, another thing that uh, Ariel recommended was develop a healthy detachment, distinguish between the world of the gaslighter in the real world. And for me, that's that's been helpful because I too have a gaslighter in my life. Eventually, I just had to be like, he sees a different world than me. And I know that what I'm seeing, I can verify with other people. That's the thing. But he's not seeing that. Yeah, that's that's been helpful dealing with my gaslighter as well, where in in my situation, there are so many flying monkeys, so to speak, where it's just easier for them to give in and say, yeah, this this warped version of reality that's not true, let's just say it's true, right? Like, this person could be saying, could be wearing a blue shirt and say it's red, and everybody just out of sheer exhaustion would say, yeah, I guess it's red. And having a little bit of detachment from that, for me, has been really helpful in saying, 
when I know that this is just how the this this is the world they live in, and for whatever reason they've convinced themselves that this is reality, but I know reality and I know what's reasonable and I'm not going to play the game of even getting caught up into this. And it, it, it is hard. It's very hard. It's so tempting to get sucked into it and, yeah. you know, get mired in it. But that detachment that love speaks to, I think, is so critical. Yeah. And to your point, the exhaustion, uh, that is a, that's a hallmark of gaslighting is that eventually you just get worn down and you're like, okay. It, it, it's often compared to like the, the frog in the pot of water as it gets hotter and hotter because it's gradual gradually wearing you down. And I did want to include this example uh, from the Washington Post story we mentioned earlier. It was about um, by a journalist who witnessed Trump's campaign manager at the time, Corey Lewandowski, grabbing and yanking another reporter, Michelle Fields. When the Trump team, they denied it outright that it ever happened. And the reporter who saw it, Ben Terrace, he started to doubt what he saw because there, everyone else was asking him, I'm like, are you sure you saw that? They're and saying, he even said, I remember that reporter even said they had never met yeah. And they were, weren't they on video? Yes. Well, then the video came out, and the Trump team doubled down. They were like, oh, you, that's nothing. You're all overreacting. The reporter kind of writes about how he started researching false witness accounts and, like, maybe, what if I didn't, am I seeing what I, am I remembering what I think I'm remembering correctly? What if I'm not? And how it kind of, it, it frightened him a little bit because... It gave him a taste of just having your whole reality put into question. Um, and that's kind of what Trump has been doing when he's dealing with accusations of sexual assault, too. He's, like, outright lied that said he's never met them when proof exists that he like, has. We got, we got you on camera, mother <laughs> like, I, like, like, It takes some real gall to be like, I never met that person. It's like, oh, well, we did meet. And, okay, like, it's like that, that saying they call a narcissist's prayer— that didn't happen. And if it did, it wasn't that bad. And if it was, it's not a big deal. And if it is, it's not my fault. And if it was, I didn't mean it. And if I did, you deserved it. Wow, yep. <laughs> Pretty much. That's, that's it. So when we talk about recovery from gaslighting, being able to pick up on gaslighting behaviors and recognizing them for what they are is a huge step. Having a support system is really vital, too, to help you regain your footing in reality. Um, Codependence Anonymous might be helpful. It's coda.org. And it's important to not to blame yourself for not having trusted yourself. Gaslighting is really effective. And it is gradual. You shouldn't blame yourself for that. Another tip is redirecting anchoring statements. When you catch yourself romanticizing your abuser or employing repetition of the truth in your favor. This could be in form of something like documenting the truth, seeking self-validation, and really thinking about things like doing reality testing with people that you trust, sort of talking to someone who you know can confirm that you are perceiving things accurately yeah. and sort of relying on them to help you, you know, help you sort through this. Yeah, and I read a lot of examples of, um, like, keeping a journal and saying, so-and-so said I'm a terrible person and that I'm, I'm good at these things, and he's saying I'm terrible for this reason when I know that I didn't do this. And, mm -hmm. like, just keeping reaffirming and writing that down, having something that you can look to and remember, like like proof. If this is something that you have dealt with or um, you know someone that has dealt with, the phone number for the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-7233. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can chat with someone online at thehotline.org. Hopefully, this has at least given people 
tools to recognize this behavior because I do think that is really important. I hope so too. And if you're dealing with gaslighting out there, we want to hear what what tips have you used to cope with it? How has it been for you? I'm sure it's something that can feel very isolating and, you know, you don't have to deal with it alone and you shouldn't have to. So definitely reach out to folks and we want to hear from you as well. Absolutely. And that brings us to listener mail. Our first letter is from Brittany. Brittany wrote about her journey to feminism. I'm not really sure where it began, but like one of you mentioned, Bridget, I think, I've always been into those feminist girl power shows. I loved Buffy, Charmed, Xena, etc. One of my favorite was Veronica Mars, such an independent female lead that also takes care of business and fights to help everyone around her, no matter who it is. The show is the reason that I'm such a huge fan of Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell is great. Yes. And Veronica Mars is really good. It is. I, I'm pretty sure I loved all of those shows you mentioned when I, when I was in my formative years as well. And still now. One of the other reasons she goes on uh, is music-related. I was extremely obsessed with Destiny's Child since I was in middle school. I'm 26 years old. Pop, R&B, and rock music helped me get through my rough teenage years. My parents divorced when I was in second grade. Later, my mom was depressed and my dad spent a lot of time in jail prison, so I didn't get a lot of guidance or attention in middle school or high school. Luckily, it turned out pretty okay. Anyway, Destiny's Child was a clear obsession of mine, and I always had a lot of inner thoughts of being an independent young woman and doing what I wanted to do, regardless of what others or society thought of it. All my ladies, independent, throw your hands up at me. <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I, I could, we could do an episode on Destiny's Child. My favorite thing about Destiny's Child is how Tina Knowles would always design those tacky but actually amazing costumes. So it'll be one of them would have... The pants version. One of them would have the shorts version. One of them would have the dress version, you know? The best. (laughs) I had a picture of them on my binder for two years. It was great. Another album in particular that sticks in my mind is Christina Aguilera's Stripped. Particularly Can't Hold Us Down is a pretty epic choice to me when it came out. This again reinforced this girl power vibe that I love. Another obvious choice from this album is also beautiful. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, sang that at talent show. Nailed it! Oh, Bridget. <laughs> Next time we do karaoke, I am going to try to push you to do that. That one's really good. Also, the song that she did on the Mulan soundtrack is really good. I didn't know she had a song. Oh my god, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a classic. She's so okay. good. Reflections. Oh. I, you know that song. Yes. People don't think of her but she made a lot of good songs for young people who were going through shit and like wanted to feel yeah. adult feelings, you know? <laughs> Genie in a bottle, baby. <laughs> Gotta rub me the right way. <laughs> Last but not least, Fighter was also very important because it taught me that no matter what I was going through, I'd make it through okay because I was strong and could get through anything I set my mind to. So thank you so much for writing. Uh, yeah, we connected to a lot of that, Brittany, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Brittany, come, let's come talk music. Yeah. <laughs> was, we should go on. Yeah, it'll be like a Destiny's Child slash Outbursts of Singing podcast, which who wouldn't want to listen to that? Oh, who <laughs> wouldn't? Anyone who's see, heard me at karaoke is like, um, me. <laughs> yes, I have a terrible voice. <laughs> Ah, thank you for that letter. I have one from Aaron. Aaron wrote, Just heard the episode on the NFL cheerleaders. Great job. And you mentioned that you hadn't heard women say, quote, I have a son in the same way a man might say, I wouldn't exploit women. I have daughters. I thought I would share my experience with hearing that phrase. Surprise, women still lose. At my conservative Christian college, Spring heralded a group of forum posts from men to the general effect of, Ladies, please cover up. Your sundresses are causing us men to have impure thoughts. Several arguments back and forth, and usually one that says, we're your brothers in Christ, and you're making us stumble. That's pretty bad. But the ones I found particularly poisonous were the ones from other women that said things like, I have brothers and future sons, and I don't want them to be in moral danger. 
This is striking because it basically tells me that the only way a woman could have an opinion on the subject is by taking on the male gaze and speaking from that perspective. Moral of the story, sundresses are a powerful weapon and the Pentagon should check into deploying them. If we're interested in bringing down the male gender, sundresses. I've long suspected. Look who's wearing a sundress in the studio. I'm already she ready. She came equipped for battle. <laughs> That's right. Always got a sundress ready to go. So thank you to Aaron and Brittany for writing. You too can write to us, and we would love to hear from you. Our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And you can find us on the social means, on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You, and on Twitter at MomStuff. Yes, and thanks for listening, and thanks as always to our producers, Dylan Fagan and Kathleen Quillian. 